So as you know, in these talks, we are making our way through the seven factors of awakening. Um, and today we come to joy, which is um, good news, I think, I hope. I have given talks on joy and someone came up to me after and, and she said, can't you be more joyful? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it's interesting that in the, in the seven factors, um, there's mindfulness, investigation, and energy, effort. And then on the other side, there's tranquility, uh, samadhi, and equanimity. And right in the center is joy. You know, and I think, I think there's, I don't think that's an accident, you know, that there's a way that the center of this practice, the center of our practice is, is joy, is joyful. And um, one of the things that has inspired me from the, the, the very earliest days of my own practice was meeting and encountering people who had been in the Dharma, who'd practicing the Dharma for, for a long time. And um, sensing their joy, experiencing their joy, that um, that was different than a good mood. It's not about being in a good mood. It's not about sort of pasting a happy face on on things, or always looking on the bright side of things, or positive thinking, or something. Not there's anything wrong with those things, but this seemed like um, something deeper or something more hard-won, something with wisdom, you know, like um, you know, to th there's this uh, expression, something like, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. Have you heard that? Or, you know, if you're not depressed, you're not paying attention. <laughs> and, you know, there's maybe we could say, or maybe we could say, if we're not joyful, you know, there's a, there's a way in that we we're not looking in a certain way, or we're not seeing something, or maybe we're missing something. So, so the the elders in, in our tradition and um, wise wise ones in general, when we encounter them, we can feel that. And, and we know, we, we can sense that they know something and, and they have this deep joy. So that's, that, was, that was always inspiring to me. Um, you know, what is that? What is that? Um, and then, yeah, and then getting back to this thing, if you're not paying attention, how, is, how can we have joy in a world where there is so much pain? There is so much suffering. There is so much unfairness. Um, not only in the sort of injustices that we know about and we see, and um, but almost in in the w in the nature of things, you know, um, everything is changing. 
you know there's nothing to there's nothing to grasp onto things don't um, maybe don't exist in the way we assume they do and when that re- when we when we meet that reality there can be a lot of suffering you know the buddha talked about um, these reflections of this body is of the nature to uh, age you know it has not gone beyond aging it's of the nature to get sick you know illness is not an accident death is not an accident being separated from what we love from what we hold most dear is not uh, a mistake it's it's just the nature of things it's the nature of things so the possibility of joy not only coexisting with that but actually coming out of a deep encounter with that is i think a very something poignant you know something um worth looking at worth worth exploring so and you know usually we think about joy as um something that comes from getting what we want you know something that comes from uh when things go the way we want them to go and of course that brings a certain kind of joy certain kind of happiness um but this this joy maybe this inner joy or this dharma joy is um maybe not so dependent on what happens but is more to do with um how we are how we look how we meet experience um so i think that's the sort of key uh key to this or the key turning um and this strange um maybe counterintuitive notion that um in the willingness to be with what's difficult in the willingness to be with what's painful or what's unpleasant uh that willingness to be present with that is what actually supports joy uh, the arising of joy is a supportive condition for joy um so um you know in one sense the relationship of joy and mindfulness is pretty straightforward you know um gill talked about the factor of mindfulness as being characterized by the word here to be here and what we maybe discover is that um our life doesn't happen somewhere else you know our life is happening here and the more mindful we are the more present we are the more available we are to the moments of of joy of beauty of goodness of delight that are so easy to miss that's so easy to miss when we're preoccupied um you know i think about my 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 girls my children and you know the knowing that this is a they're they're like 5 and 3 years old and knowing that this is such a precious age and not wanting to miss anything and and 
to be there, to be present for every question, every, you know, conversation. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, there's all kinds of things happening in the moment. And often, you know, uh, my children really know how to get, you know, the first is Papa, and Papa, and Papa! <laughs> okay, <laughs> what? <laughs> but, you know, this, this, um, you know, if we're not here, if we're not present, we miss these moments. So, you know, this is a simple, straightforward relationship of mindfulness to joy. The more, the more present we are, the more mindful we are, the more available we are to the, to the moments of beauty, moments of joy that we might miss. And then there's this other interesting connection between mindfulness and joy. And the idea is that um, somehow intrinsic to, mi- to mindfulness itself, somehow bound up with this quality of being present, being connected, uh, joy is there. You know, um, and it's not dependent on what we're noticing, but it's on the act of noticing itself. And this, you know, is something that that we can explore in the meditation. But um, you know, this kind of um, quality of presence maybe has its own joy to it that's built into it. And, and you know, in the, in the text, they talk about rapture and ecstasy and, you know, it's coming from, you know, being present. And so in these, um, you know, um, exalted states or deep states, the seed of that is present in just a moment of mindfulness. The seed of that is has to be there. You know, if, if that takes root and that grows and that blossoms into something else, the seed must be there. So, and which is accessible to any of us in any moment we just remember to come back, remember to connect. So, you know, I think we're, we're having more of a sense now of um, how these factors might fit together and uh, support each other. Um, you know, we have mindfulness, the being here, the connecting. And um, once we're here and we notice something, we can get interested in it. We might get interested, we might get curious, and this is investigation. This is this looking closer, taking a, a closer look. You know, what is this? What is this? You know, I may have the idea that I'm sitting here and breathing and being mindful of the breath, but the closer I look at what I call the breath, I might discover that um, there's no such thing as the breath. It's not like something I can find. It's not like something I can, you know, uh, contain or define. It's made up of lots of other things, lots of other sensations and vibrations. The closer I look, you know, um, the more I see. And the, um, you know, so to get interested, to get uh, curious, um, brings a kind of engagement that 
um, can energize us. You know, the, um, so this quality of interest, curiosity, engagement um, brings energy. Um, there, there's a line from a, a David White poem, and he says something like, "The cure for exhaustion is not rest; it's wholeheartedness." You know, and I always think of that when I think of this quality of, of effort or energy. What is it to have wholehearted effort that's not coming from uh, my own preferences or my own uh, desires, but that's like, that's the whole being poured into something. And I think that's the, that's the quality of energy or effort. Um, so, so Gil talked about here, what, and then for, for, for effort, this. And, and when these come together, um, it brings us to uh, yes, this word yes, this is saying yes to our experience. You know, when we're present, when we're interested, when we're energized, um, there's this ability to open to what's happening and, and to say yes. Um, usually we say no. <laughs> um, but it's, it's this quality of, of saying yes that um, is is the willingness to be with what's actually happening, not what we think should be happening, not what we hope want to be happening, what we think should be, you know, but to actually let go of that and to be with how things are right now involves a kind of acceptance, a kind of um, letting go. And so it's, yes, this is it. Yes, this is the truth of this moment. And the willingness to be with that and to acknowledge that, um, there's some kind of alchemy that lightens us, that um, we're letting go of the struggle, of the conflict with how things are. And so it doesn't really matter so much how things are, but when we're not fighting, you know, then something can be released, something can be lightened. Um, and, and I think that these qualities go along with, as Mel talked about, this lessening of self-centered activity. You know, maybe at the beginning of the retreat, um, there's, there's a lot of me in, in the meditation. There's, there's me doing something, following the breath, doing this, doing that, and am I doing it well? Am I not doing it so well? Um, what does it say about me? Me, 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 me. Um, but if we can s get out of the way and allow, allow this to unfold, it's like a shift from doing and a lot of doing 
to um, something that's maybe softer, something that's more allowing, more receptive. Um, I think about listening as, as a great metaphor in some ways better than observing. You know, a lot of times in Vipassana we talk about observe the breath, observe the sensations, observe the details. Um, I remember after some long retreats that I did, when I, <laughs> I left the retreat and I, um, I talked to someone and he said, what happened to your eyes? Because my eyes were like really big, really dilated. You know, not because I was doing a lot of looking through the eyes, but because it was like this habit of engaging the eye muscles in the process of awareness, you know, which actually is not, you know, it's not about looking through the eyes necessarily, can be, but. Um, so something about listening, you know, in meditation when we open to sounds, that is such a wonderful way to start practicing, you know, in a sitting or walking, because we can't control the sounds. You know, we can, the breath is something that there's, there's more, um, there's more room to maneuver it. There's, we can tinker, we can, there's more agency. But with sounds, you, you know, we're just receiving them. We're just um, allowing. So this movement from a doing to something that's maybe closer to an abiding, to resting, to experiencing. Um, and then the other movement um, that we might notice is from separation, from some kind of separative consciousness to something that's more unified, something that's, that's more merged with experience. You know, Mel talked about being at one with things. And um, yeah, just this quality of unification is very supportive for the arising of this kind of joy. Um, when I'm not separate and analyzing and evaluating and comparing and actually just here and then investigating, getting closer and bringing this wholehearted energy, getting even closer. And then this joy is like, it's connected now, it's merged. Um, think it's it's interesting to think about that this kind of joy is not merely a sort of happy uh, side effect to 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 practice to kind of diligent practice but is really something that's essential um, and 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 this goes back to um, the story of the Buddha and the Buddha's own awakening and you know, a, as as the story goes, he was a um, wandering mendicant, you know, who um, was traveling kind of with a um, a scene of of spiritual seekers who were 
doing very extreme practices. So, you know, in, in the suttas, it says things like he was almost to the point of death. Like no one had ever done anything more extreme in terms of starving the body, in terms of, you know, going through these austerities. And because that was the idea that, you know, to just really push, push oneself to the brink. And, you know, this intense, intense striving. Um, and um, in, in, in one of these moments when he was so weak, his body was so weak, and it was something like the skin was almost, you know, falling off of him, um, he had a memory. And his memory was of when he was a child when he was a boy and that he was sitting under the rose apple tree and he was happy he was joyful he had joy and it was it was not something that he earned it was not something that he um you know that was sort of this um you know hard won uh, feeling, it was this natural joy that was intrinsic to who he was. It was intrinsic to his nature. And so he was a boy and he was sitting under th this um, rose apple tree. And it says, he experienced the rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. The rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. Um, so this seclusion means that the joy wasn't coming from the outside. It wasn't coming from, you know, um, some great experience through the senses. It wasn't coming from some great circumstance of his life. It was, it was an internal joy. It was an inner joy. And, you know, as a boy, he experienced it. And, um, you know, in just thinking about what we know now about with science and the mind and children, um, it seems that children have these, um, there's a certain kind of consciousness that children have, sometimes up to age five, six, seven, that is um, the mind just merges with experience in a way. If you've ever, you know, my kids are, they can't watch almost no TV, right? But like occasionally we, you know, the airplane or something, we have the iPad and, 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 uh, and I'll be like, my, my younger daughter's called Momo. I say, Momo, 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 Momo. <laughs> doesn't hear, doesn't, not aware, totally, totally immersed. And I, um, knowing that, I um, was able to um, use that to, my older daughter had to get a, a, you know, an IV and she had to do that once before and she's fine and it was, it was for, for a study and this thing. But she screamed so much at the needle and sister looking at it and screaming and people came running and wanted to see what was happening. And, but this time, just in terms of distracting her and talking to her, she didn't feel it. She, she, you know, she was, she was, she was so merged with a different experience. She, she didn't feel it. So anyway, that's just to say that, 
um, children, you know, this is this is intrinsic to children. To, to if you see the way a child can um, play, you know, and play is a child's work, and they're so absorbed in the play, and they create a whole world there, and secluded from everything else, you know, and so you know, the Buddha was. Buddha-to-be was remembering as a boy sitting under a tree and having this joy. And at first, there's some fear came up because he thought, is this joy dangerous? Is this joy unwholesome? Is this joy going to take me away from my quest for awakening? But then he realized, no, um, not only is it not dangerous, but this, maybe this is the way. Maybe there's another way. Rather than um, punishing myself and uh, nearly destroying myself and pushing so hard, pushing so hard to actually um, follow this joy, discover this joy, connect to this joy, rest in this joy, and let it, let it um, open us. Let it. Uh, teach us something. So, um, so, and this, w this was the insight that he, he ended up um, reconnecting to that joy in his meditation practice and deepening it and deepening it uh, to the point where his mind was uh, ready to awaken, available to awakening. Um, and I think one of the ways that this works or worked or is that um, when we are able to access an inner joy it it reorients the being you know and there's a way that we can we're not so dependent anymore on um, our happiness being out there and everything being just right out there and then i can be happy so this reorientation that allows the grasping for external things to soften, to loosen. And we have something that's filling us up from the inside. Um, and so in a way, just like climbing a ladder, it's, it's easier to let go of the, the bottom rung when you have something to hold on to. For the top, for the top one, so the more the more we can um, access or or appreciate or develop something that's inside a joy that's that's intrinsic to to who we are, um, it's easier to let go of 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 things out there and not not that they don't. Um, we don't care about them, we don't love them, that we don't appreciate them, but um, we're, we have some independence from them, some freedom from them. That, that because if, if, if our joy, if our happiness only depends on things out there, well, they're impermanent. You know, they are not something that we can uh, rely on. So, um, this joy um, reorienting us and 
and can be very healing, very purifying in a way that um, that almost like if our conditioning is uh, you know through through our own life, through our own experience, if there's a lot of fear, um, then you know or or some some kind of difficulty in being inside when 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 we can access this joy i don't know in some way it 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 can help to change the conditioning and i've talked to a number of people who say that um through working with with joy and samadhi and these practices um that their own conditioning really changed from being fear based to being much more um love based much more based in metta, much more based in um, kindness for themselves and for others. So there's a lot of power in this. Um, so just to say a little bit about what supports um, this, this kind of joy uh, to arise, you know, I think of it as all the qualities that um, lessen a sort of preoccupation with self. You know, so traditionally there's generosity, you know, this giving, um, ethics, integrity, sila, um, living in a way that's aligned with our deepest values. Um, you know, of course, mindfulness, of course, uh, effort and um, and it's and it's sort of like w what we what we look for we s will find you know whatever we're looking for we'll find and I think uh, for a lot of us our conditioning and maybe it's just a human thing is to look for what's wrong you know and we and you, you know <laughs> we look for what's wrong you you will find it <laughs> um and if you, if we um, have this intention to look for joy, to be alive for the, for the joy that's in things, we will find that, we will find that. And um, and in sometimes in, in the most unexpected places, you know, or, um, We've already talked a little bit about what blocks joy, but I think about it as any of these contracted states, any of any of the, you know, whatever separates me from the moment. Um, <coughs> often it's a form of thinking that's, you know, the comparing mind, the judging mind, um, doubt. Um, and there's this surprising thing that we might discover that in a way it takes more effort. You know, just like the clenched fist, it takes more effort to kind of keep it clenched than to just release it and soften it. In a way, it takes more effort to be unhappy, <laughs> you know, and to just, re you know, we can release that, release that thinking and rest and return to something 
um, you know, uh, which is joy. And then the other thing, um, maybe final thing to say about this is that the more joy that we cultivate in ourselves, um, this is a gift. This is a gift that we can offer to others. You know, to be a joyful person in a world that is where there is so much difficulty and there is so much sadness. Um, to be a person who can see the beautiful, can see the good, even in the face of catastrophe, who's present enough, who's, um, who's not struggling with how things are. Um, that, that inspires other people. That's, you know, that's, um, you know, we want to be around people like that. We want to learn from people like that. And when other people are suffering and we can see that they're so entangled and caught and preoccupied, we can offer that. We can offer, you know, to see, um, to see, to see them in a way that they might not be able to see themselves, you know, and to appreciate someone, to cherish someone for who they are, not for who we want them to be, or we think they should be, or, you know, you're pretty good, but, you know, have you ever thought about, you know, blah, 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 meditating? <laughs> you know, just, you know, just to, just to, um, the joy of uh, being with people as they are and, and seeing their beauty, seeing their goodness. Um, and then it's this reinforcing that will bring, give them joy. You know? um, and the other thing that, that was coming up for me is this teaching of Suzuki Roshi that that I know has been a big part of both uh, Mel's teaching and Gil's teaching is um, just to be alive is enough. You know, what does it mean to have that kind of relationship with our experience, that kind of um, putting down of the fighting, of the conflict? And, that just being alive is enough. Just being alive is joyful. Um, and then whatever happens, you know, the good things, the bad things, the, the good weather, the bad weather, the, we're, we're just right there. We're experiencing it, we're, um, and we're so close that, um, you know, it's before evaluation, it's before judgment, it's the mind before all those distinctions. Um, you know, what, you know, what is it, what is it to sit in a way that just this moment is enough? Um, so maybe let's just sit for a minute.
it's just to be alive, just to be who and what we already are, we always have been, just this is enough. <laughs>